Well, church, we're in Joshua chapter 2. I know. Such a talkative bunch. It's wonderful to have such a warm fellowship, Richard, but a time and a place. <laughs> I think for many of us, uh, Rahab is one of the a favorite character in, in Scripture, if you know her story. Maybe if you're relatively new to church or new to the faith, you may not be familiar with, with Rahab's story. But, but she is uh, an amazing woman. In fact, uh, Rahab, I, I do think, is one of the, one of the truly amazing characters in, in Scripture. Rahab is a pagan. Right? You need to get this in your mind. She's a foreigner. She's a Gentile. She's not one of God's people. Not, she's not an Israelite. On top of that, she's a prostitute. She's a pagan prostitute in a foreign culture, in a city that's about to be conquered. But she was changed. She's transformed. She's transformed from a house of shame into the hall of fame. She ends up being in the hall of fame in the book of Hebrews. She goes from prostitute to princess. She goes from a harlot to being a heroine. From somebody who walked the streets at night to somebody who walked in the light. As we heard last week, uh, we hear after their first abortive attempt some, some 40 years prior under Moses, the Israelites are once again ready to take hold of the promised land, to take hold of the promises that God has, has set aside of them, to take the land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and, and honey. They're standing on the eastern side of the River Jordan the city of Jericho off in the distance. So let's pick up the story at Joshua chapter 2. It's time for another spy story. Do you like spy stories? It's time for another one. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hidden, had taken the two men and hidden them, she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was close to the city gate, they, they left. Time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid, laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gates were shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage melted because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me 
by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. For our lives, for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the man had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter your land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father, your mother, your brothers, and your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads because we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But I tell you, if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And She tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Church, let's pray. Our loving Lord, make this story come alive, we pray. Help us to learn from it, we pray. We pray that we'll be able to apply this story in our own lives, that we won't be mere hearers of the word, but that we'll be doers of the word. Father, we pray that my words might be your words. We pray that I might decrease and you increase in all that is said and in all that is heard. And all the people said, Amen. So the first thing Joshua does uh, as he's about to conquer the land is he sends out he sends out uh, two spies uh, to spy out the land. Uh, like any good general, uh, Joshua is keen to know what's going on in enemy territory. So he sends out two special ops guys, I suppose you'd call them, uh, two spies to, to recon the area, to get hold of some information to report back. Now, why two? Well, Deuteronomy chapter 19 says that uh, by the mouth of two witnesses, every word shall be established. But a question, another question is, why only two, given that we've already heard a story involving 12 spies? But if you know the story, you'll know that uh, 10 of those 12 spies that were sent out into the land some 40 years beforehand proved to be faithless. They gave a bad report. Only two of them, Caleb and Joshua himself, had faith enough that the Israelites could indeed take the promised land. It was a daunting task to be sure, but they had faith that they could do it with God's help. Sadly, however, uh, the bad reports from the other ten spread throughout the Israelite camp, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, so that all the Israelites' courage melted away. Uh, Despite all of the miracles that they had seen God do amongst them, they did not believe in God's promise. And so here they are 40 years later, 
And Joshua said, forget the 12, I only need two, just a few good men. Just a couple of good men is, is all that's needed. You see, sometimes I think this is the first little lesson. Sometimes in God's economy, less is more. And why Jericho? Well, if you entered uh, the promised land, if you enter Canaan from the, from the eastern bank, you cross over, Jericho is, is the first city uh, that you could see. They're on the edge of the, camping out on the edge of, of the river. It's the first city you'd come from. It's only a few kilometres. I actually had a look on Google Maps myself this week. It's only three or four kilometres away from the Jordan. You'd clearly be able to see it. I remember standing on... Uh, the, on the Dover cliffs looking across to France. I knew about the English Channel. Has anyone done that, seen across the English Channel? I remember thinking to myself, I'm standing in England and I can very clearly see France. It's not a little speck off in the distance. It's like, that's France. Like, nearly all of it I can see. It's, it's between, the, between uh, the River Jordan and, and Jericho. It was much closer than the distance between Dover and Calais. It was the first city they could see. But I think there's something else going on here. I think there's something else going on that the Israelites couldn't see, but which God could see. You see, God wanted to reach a person. He wanted to reach Rahab. Because Rahab will end up being in the genealogical record of God himself. So the need to get to Jordan, to Jericho for that to happen. It's a little bit like in, uh, in John chapter 5 when Jesus goes up north, but he says we need to go through Samaria. If you know the geography, uh, you'll know that it's kind of out of the way. It's kind of dangerous hill country. Why don't you just go straight up the, the Jordan? Well, there's a woman there that Jesus wants to reach. There's a woman there that is ready to be saved, and Jesus goes out of his way to, to find her. I mean, isn't that amazing? Isn't that encouraging this morning, church? Isn't that a source of hope for all of us this morning? That Whenever you're tempted to feel like you don't really matter. I'm not sure who needs to hear that this morning. I suspect there's one or two people here that probably need to hear that message. Even if you feel insignificant, even if you feel as though I don't really matter, what would it really matter? I'm not really worth it. You know, what... What difference do I really make? If you need to hear that, this is a story for you this morning, friend. God goes out of his way to save this foreign pagan prostitute, Rahab. F.B. Meyer, a, a wonderful 19th century evangelist in the 1800s, said, the love of God for you is like the Amazon River flowing down to water a single daisy. Do you like that? That touched me this week. The love of God for you is like the Amazon River, which, by the way, you can't see across. It's so big at various points. It's flowing down to water a single daisy. The daisy in this particular story is, is Rahab. You matter to God too. No matter how... Now, the other thing you need to know about Rahab is that her profession down through the years has tried to be cleaned up by the church, it's tried to be sanitised by many people down, down through the years. They like to say, well, maybe she wasn't an actual prostitute. You know, the, the Hebrew is a little bit fuzzy. Maybe she's just an innkeeper. But by the time you get to the New Testament, and she's mentioned in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word that's used there is, is porne, from which we get the word pornography. It is very clearly a word that's used to describe a, a prostitute. 
Biblical commentator Herbert Lockyer writes on this, and he says, both Jewish and Christian writers have tried to prove that Rahab was a different woman from the one who the Bible always speaks of as a harlot. To them, it's abhorrent that such a disreputable person could be included in the Lord's genealogy. But I actually think, church, it's actually a, a really significant part of her story. The key point of this lesson, the key point of Rahab's story, and I believe the key point of the biblical story as a whole is that God saves undeserving people. Amen? The trouble is, if we're honest with ourselves, respectable church folk like you and I are often uncomfortable with God choosing a, a prostitute. I mean, surely there must have, Lord, there must have been somebody more respectable in Jericho around about that time. It must have been a trustworthy city official or, or maybe a kindly grandmother that was trustworthy, perhaps. I mean, we like to sort of sing Amazing Grace, don't we? We sing along. We sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But I think we don't always think of the words. And even if we do think of that strange first line, we think, well, well I'm, I'm not a wretch. I, I, my counsellor told me that I needed to be more positive. I need better self-esteem. That's, that's, a, that's bad juju to be saying that I'm a wretch. I'm not a wretch. So I think when, often when we think this, sing that song, when we sing that line like we will be uh, very shortly, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like her over there. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like that bloke that I know over there. But you see, that song was written by a fellow by the name of John Newton. He was a slave trader, a human trafficker. He was radically set free. And if he knew that God could turn a slave trader into a hymn writer, there was only one word for it. Amazing. Amazing grace. Rahab's profession, I believe, is is significant. I heard a story of a, of a little girl this week who had a large collection of dolls, huge collection of dolls. We will come and sort of see a collection of dolls. And one time she had a visitor, show me a collection of dolls. She said, show me your favourite doll. What is your favourite doll? Well, the girl got up and got on. She found, dug out this, this manky of doll, that's manky, dishevelled of dolls. You know the ones. All filthy and dirty, the dress half torn. One eye missing, big chunks of hair missing, one shoe missing, head sort of half hanging on. She said, why, why do you love this doll so much? And she said, because if I didn't, nobody would. That's Rahab. Would you love Rahab? Would you pick Rahab? Would you choose Rahab? Well, God did. God did. He has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, says 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, I think there's a bit of strategic method, madness in God's method as well when you think about it. Uh, I think, you know, seeing as a house was in the city wall, it might be a good spot for some reconnaissance. When you think about it, choosing a brothel is probably kind of good cover. There would have been strange men coming and going all the time. So the spies probably in that sense, may have chosen well in, in choosing Rahab's house as the place to stay. 
I suppose. Uh, but think too, Rahab would have had people coming to her, men coming to her every night, talking to her about what's going out in, in the countryside. I mean, what's happening in the land? She would have heard stories from the locals and from men from far away about, about what's happening, what's going on in the world. The spies could probably have got some good information out of a woman like, like Rahab. Now, some of you are probably thinking at this point of the story, like I must admit I was when I revisited this story uh, for the first time in a long time uh, this week. Well, I'm sure there was some mission-minded tactics going on from the two spies in choosing Rahab, the prostitute's house of stain, but, but are you sure that was the only thing on their mind, Pete? I mean, what were the spies thinking when they chose to stay at a prostitute's house? It's a good question to ask what really were their motives. Um, plenty of commentators have asked the same thing down through the years. Now, the Hebrew word that verse 1 uses, that the NIV interprets just simply as stay, is literally the word to lie down. Now, like in, in modern English, it, it does have a bit of a play on words. There is a bit of ambiguity there, perhaps deliberately so, from the author. It could simply mean that they lodged there for the night, but it does leave the door open that maybe they were paying customers of, of Rahab. And, and the commentators seem to think that this is probably a little word of warning. Right here at the very start, if you know the story of God's people in the promised land, they are warned over and over and over again against intermarrying with the, the pagans, against warned constantly against taking on board their practices, their foreign pagan gods. They fail to do so with devastating consequences on, on multiple occasions. So the commentators seem to think there's a little bit of ambiguity going on here as a bit, a bit of a, a word of warning, a bit of a precursor of, of, of what's to come about the need to stay pure, about the need to stay true, to God. So let me know what you think. Chat, we'll have a chat about it up in adult Sunday school perhaps. What do you think? What were the two spies' motivations in going to Rahab's house that night? As for Rahab herself, well, let's think about her for a second. We see that she's a bit of a work in progress. Uh, we see that, uh, that first of all, she hears about the, the work of of the God of heaven and earth, of, of, of Yahweh, the God of, of the Israelites. In verse 10, she says to the man, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. We have, we have heard our hearts melted in fear. See, she heard these stories that were emerging from this ragtag group of ex-slaves coming up out of Egypt, I mean, wandering around in the wilderness for, for all these years, and now they're right on our doorstep on the other side of the Jordan, about to roll down on, on top of us. She'd heard stories, and they must have been credible enough that she actually started to, to believe them. She, she actually believed the stories that, that she, was, she was hearing. It's important to note, too, that that's not what the, the ten faithless spies had said 40 or so years ago, if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, Rahab has more faith than those ten faithless Israeli spies. 
They come back from scoping out the land and they say, there's giants in the land. The cities are all fortified. We can't possibly take the city. And now we hear the truth from Rahab, from an actual resident of Canaan. She says, we're petrified of you guys. Joshua and Caleb tried to speak up, tried to fortify the hearts of the Israelites, and they tried to stone them for it. Tragically, the tent took the whole of the Israelite nation around, and 40 years later, they've been delayed. But here they are now. Now we find the truth. The Canaanites are terrified of the Israelites. Friend, whatever it is that you're facing this year, whatever the challenge it is that that you're up against. It's always got to be measured against the capacity of the agent doing the work. If it's up to you alone, if you're facing this task that you're facing, if it's up to you alone, if you're doing the work in your own strength, if you're fighting this battle by yourself, then of course your opponents are going to seem incredibly big and fearsome. But when you insert God into the equation, the challenge becomes manageable in in his strength. So let me say that again. The difficulty of any task that you're going to face must always be measured against the capacity of the one doing the work. Who's doing your work for you? Yourself? It's all about how you look at things, isn't it? If you look out at the horizon and, 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 and you see, gee, I've got some big enemies opposing me, then maybe it's because you've got a little God you've got a little God, you've got big enemies. But when you have a big God, your enemies start to shrink. It all depends on how you see God, I think. So, Rahab has heard about God. That's the first step. And, I mean, how this is a bit of a lesson for a bit of a challenge for us. How are they going to believe in him unless we go out and tell them? We need to be telling our stories. Uh, Romans chapter 10. How will people believe unless they hear? We've got a couple of YWAMers here that are committed to going out and proclaiming the good news, the gospel to the, to the nations, it's prepared to go. It's, it's our job, Church in the Marketplace, to be communicating the good news uh, to our city. He's put that on us. So she, she hears the word, but then she, she believes. Uh, she hears the report, and then she puts her trust in, 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 in Yahweh, in the God of the Israelites. Now, whenever you got a Bible open in front of you. You'll see when the word Lord appears, it's in all capital letters. Can you see that? In the Old Testament, whenever you see the word Lord in capital letters, it's where the word Yahweh appears. It's God's name. In English, it's just Y-H-W-H. The Hebrew doesn't have, doesn't have consonants. It's Yahweh. It's where we sort of ultimately sort of get the word Jehovah from. But originally, it's, 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 it's Yahweh. It's, it's God's name. It's not just any rando God. This is the Israelite God, the God of heaven and earth. Rahab is using God's name Yahweh. I believe in Yahweh. Yahweh is the creator of, of heaven and earth. She said, I believe in this God. This God is going to be my God. She doesn't say, maybe I, she doesn't say, I think the Lord has given you this land. I hope the Lord. Now she says, I know. She says, I know the Lord, Yahweh, has given you this land. <coughs> Verse 11 again, for the Lord, that's Yahweh, your God, is God of heaven above and earth below. I know that he is God. Others have heard about God. Rahab knew. She believed. She 
hears about God, she believes in God. Note that she wasn't there to see any of those miracles. She heard about the stories of the Red Sea. She probably wasn't even born when that happened. She, hadn't, she wasn't there to see those mighty battles they won in God's strength. She only heard about them. She hadn't seen any of it, but she believed. So I actually suspect the spies were a bit of an answer to prayer for Rahab. I actually think Rahab was waiting for these two spies. I actually think she was waiting for an opportunity like this to present itself so that she could make a fresh start, so that she could... Well, she had no confidence in her countrymen. She clearly no longer has any faith in the the pagan gods of her countrymen. And so she's ready to start a new life. Now, what's interesting here is that many Jews, of course, did, who saw those miracles didn't believe. I bring this up because if your faith depends simply on seeing, on great signs and and wonders, then if the signs go missing, then so will your faith. Imagine if if God broke in for a moment and God for some reason decided he was going to levitate me up above the congregation here. Imagine if God for some reason wanted to give us here at Church in the Marketplace a spectacular sign I'm going to float the pastor up above you, spin me around a couple of times and sit me back down. And imagine you all took your phones out and phoned me from, what, 80 different angles. You posted it to the interwebs. I guarantee you what's going to happen next Sunday. We'd be turning them away, beating them away. We wouldn't have room for them all. We'd be turning them away. But what if God the next week decided not to levitate me miraculously? I guarantee you the crowds would shrink away as fast as they came in the first place. True faith, faith, true faith, isn't really faith if it's simply dependent upon you seeing miraculous signs. True faith comes from hearing and by believing the word of God. Rahab heard the word, she believed the word, she believed in God, she had more faith than those ten faithless spies who saw all those Miracles, but didn't believe. She makes this statement of faith, spoiler alert, before the walls of Jericho come tumbling tumbling down in a few weeks. Now, the third part of how she lived out her salvation is that she she actually demonstrated what she believed. She actually put some flesh on the bone. James says, in in the New Testament book of James, says that Rahab is an example of faith, about how faith, without works, is dead. He says, Rahab the prostitute was justified by her faithful actions. Uh, How did she demonstrate it? Well, in a couple of different ways. Firstly, she hid the spies, didn't she? Now, this this is an incredibly risky thing to do. This is an incredibly brave thing for Rahab to do, right? Espionage has been around since there's been nation states. This is treasonous. People charged with treason, well... You get shot these days. It's a significant crime. They had of caught Rahab sheltering foreign spies. She would have likely have paid for it with her life. She's taking a huge risk sheltering these spies. But note this, Rahab fears God more than she fears her own king. Let me ask you, where does your ultimate allegiance lie? With the kings of this world? Or with the God of heaven and earth? Rahab also demonstrated, didn't she, by hanging out her famous scarlet scarlet cord out the window. 
Would you have a look at something in verse 18, if you've got it open in front of you? Uh, she's, uh, unless when we enter the land, and this is the spies talking, unless when we enter the land, you've got this, tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and your mother, your brother and your whole family into the house, if any of them go outside your house in the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. It's interesting, I think, that the idea of blood uh, is brought together here with the idea of this scarlet cord. The deal was, of course, that uh, the only way to be rescued from the coming destruction that was about to sweep down on, on Jericho was that if you got everybody, every member of your family, into your house, and you hung out this red rope outside of, of your window, then, then and only then you'll be spared. Does that sound familiar? It should. Where did the two spies get this idea from? Yeah, anyone? From the Passover. Absolutely right. This is a, this is a Passover story. This is the, they would have heard the story of the Passover, that from that first Passover from their parents. They'd celebrate every year, still do. Uh, at that first Passover, in order for the angel of death, of course, to, to pass over, uh, to pass over your, your house, the blood of a lamb must be daubed over the door. Being a Canaanite, of course, uh, it would be a little bit weird and kind of suspicious to have lamb's blood smeared all over a Rahab's door frame. Uh, so a blood-coloured cord will have to suffice. But the idea is the same. God's wrath would pass over that house. Like the lamb's blood at Passover, the scarlet cord was an outward sign of her inward faith. Note too her concern for others. She wanted to make sure that her family was also helped and saved. Salvation is so valuable, should be so valuable to you that that if you really discover it for yourself, you won't be able to keep it to yourself. You'll be wanting to bring other people into salvation with you. You'll want to share it. Rahab showed her faith by her work. She demonstrated it. She lived it. There's a poem that says, He wasn't much for stirring about. That wasn't his desire. While others worked and served the Lord, he was just sitting by the fire. Same old story, day by day, he never seemed to tire. While others faithfully served the Lord, he was just sitting by the fire. One day he died, as all must do, and some say he went up higher. But if he's doing as he always did, he's still sitting by the fire. You see, salvation has to be shown by how you live. It will inevitably bubble up. It will show itself. It will be demonstrated in your life. People won't have to guess. They'll see it in you. It will manifest itself in your day-to-day life. It will change you. It will set you apart from those around you. Is that the case in, in your life? Rahab showed a sense of reckless abandonment that night. Showed a sense of a reckless abandonment to old loyalties, 
to her old dead religion. And perhaps, no doubt, to her, even her own identity as the town prostitute. She wanted to make a fresh start. It was a big risk, but one that, as we'll see, paid some, some huge dividends. So the immediate upshot of uh, this story of Rahab is that the spies are, are saved. They make their way back to Joshua and give their report, reporting back that the people's hearts in fear are melting uh, because of the Israelite camp just the other side of the Jordan. But Rahab's story, church, doesn't end there. Rahab will enter the royal lineage of Israel. Rahab will have a son called Boaz. We'll have a son called Obed. We'll have a, a son called Jesse. We'll have a son called David. Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David, the greatest of all the Israelite kings. It's amazing, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how God works? You'll also find her mentioned no less than three times in the New Testament. She's there in the New Testament as well, Hebrews chapter 11, in what's called the Hall of Fame or the, the Hall of Faith, uh, mentions Rahab, that she did not perish with those who did not believe. James chapter 2, as I said, mentions Rahab as being justified. And in Matthew chapter 1, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself, Rahab is right there alongside Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the mighty King David himself. She shows up in the royal lineage of both King David and Jesus the Christ, which means in God's book, Rahab is not a prostitute. She's a princess. Amen? She's an inspiring example the transforming nature of faith. Or Jericho's story is a story of destruction. Rahab's story is a story of reconstruction. See, nature will form us and sin distorts us and deforms us. Schools try to inform us and a prison will hopefully reform us. The world tries to conform us, but only Jesus can transform us. He'll change you from the inside out like he did Rahab. Christians are not just hopefully nicer people. We're transformed people, made new. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, that's all well and good for prostitutes like, like Rahab, Pete. They need a lot of God's grace. Well, I'm reminded of what Jesus said whenever I start to think a little bit like that myself. Remind what Jesus said in Matthew 21. He told the religious people like you and I, he said, the, the, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of heaven before you lot. There are none so bad that they cannot be saved. And there's none so good that they don't need saving. Amen? There's going to be three surprises in heaven. Firstly, who's there? She made it. <laughs> Secondly, who's not there? Where's great Aunt Ethel? She had the biggest Bible back in my town growing up. And thirdly, that you're there, if you're honest with yourself. So friends, submit yourself today would be my challenge. Submit yourself to the gracious God, the God of grace, who goes out of his way to save sinners like Rahab, the God who goes out of his way to save sinners like you and I.
like the spies, hide yourself under God's protection in the blood of the Lamb. Like Rahab, take the courageous, risky step of putting your ultimate trust not in the kings of this world, but in the God of heaven and earth. Give your life over to the God whose love for you is like the Amazon River flowing down to water a single daisy named Pete and Steve and Mark and Michelle. Won't you submit your life today into the hands of the gracious God who sent his son to save a wretch like Rahab, a wretch like you. Let's pray. Our loving Lord, we say thank you for your amazing grace. We say thank you that none are so far gone that they're beyond salvation. We say, Heavenly Father, come and help us to see that we too are in need of your saving grace. Help us to learn from the faith of Rahab. Help us to learn to take risks for you, to not put our trust in the princes and kings of this world, but to put our trust in you alone, in your strong, loving embrace. We commit to hiding ourselves in you. We know like a mother hen father, you come and protect your children underneath your wings. Thank you for the saving blood of Jesus Christ that protects us, that washes us clean, whiter than the snow. We commit ourselves once more into your care, into your hands. And all the people said, Amen.